Good morning, OBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to the Story Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind you guys that if you are watching this on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Stories, wherever, please be sure to like and follow us. It helps us a lot. Listen, if I, if everybody that has ever watched and I've ever invited to like this page actually liked our page, we'd be sitting pretty at a hundred or a thousand and five hundred people. That is triple our current number, and it would help us greatly get the word out and raise awareness for this podcast. And if you really do enjoy what we do, please be sure to rate us on Spotify or re- leave us a review on Apple Podcast or here on Facebook as well. It really does help us, and it would mean a lot to me. With all that said, today I have on Mr. Logan Kurtek, a do-it-all kind of guy. York's York PA's Logan Kurtek is drawn to the endless possibilities in music. While saxophone is his main gig, his excitement and curiosity has led him to play seven different instruments and fostered the ability to make music on just about anything he touches. This skill has landed Logan in the recording booth and on stage supporting an eclectic mix of musicians, most notably in the roots and blues music scene. Currently, Logan performs with Lancaster-based artist Bobby Gentillo, spreading the word of Mississippi Hill Country Blues, adding a groovy and uniquely psychedelic twist. You can find Logan and all of his projects on in the description below, or just look up at Logan Kurtzek everywhere. Everywhere. How are you doing today, man? I am great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to get into all of the stuff we have got today. Yeah. So, speaking from the start, okay, where or when did you start to really get into music as a child? What grabbed you? That's hard to say because I feel like I was probably young to the point where your like memories just developing. <laughs> but I was always raised around music. Um, musical family. Um, my parents were in the uh, worship band at church. So I just remember being as a kid, you know, going to church rehearsals where they're practicing for that Sunday service or, um, you know, my dad was a guitar player on our house was always, we had guitars everywhere. Um, and, uh, my mom played piano she played flute. Um, so it was just kind of like, that was the norm. Um, we always listened to music. My parents would take us to, to concerts and, um, yeah. So early on it was kind of like, it was just part of life, um, so at what point did you partic- participate in the instrument? I mean, I would say as soon as I was, you know, old enough, my I started on piano. Uh, my mom taught my sister and I um, piano lessons at home. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was always interested in it. So as soon as I was old enough to, to start playing an instrument, it's like, okay, can I, can I touch that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I started out on piano and that was kind of like our first instrument. Did that for years. Um, my mom taught us at home and then, um, you know, once we got, you know, more further along, then we started going to other private teachers. Um, and then I think as time went on, it was just like, I would see other instruments too. Like I'd be sitting in like in the church when my parents were having band practice and kind of watching, there's a drummer up there and I'm like, wow, that drummer's like having a lot of fun. I want to do that. And, uh, the same thing with like, at you know, one of the other churches, there was a saxophone player up there and there was a saxophone player in, in my family too. And one of my cousins. And, um, I remember he had like a really old vintage, like Mark six horn. It was super cool. I'm like, ah, I really, he was like one of my favorite cousins. I'm like, oh, he's got this cool saxophone. Like, yeah, I want to be like that. So, um, 
yeah, I was kind of being drawn to different instruments. But then I was part of a um, a school district that really valued the arts, which is amazing. Um, not all school districts are like that, That's but um, I was super fortunate to have uh, to live in an area where you know I had so many opportunities. And um, so once I was in the school system, it's like okay, third grade, you're allowed to pick an instrument. And uh, so I I picked uh, upright bass. Um, a third grader yeah, choosing an yeah, upright bass. Yeah, it was the biggest one. It was the coolest one. Um, fair. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I played that. And then fourth grade, they're like, you can pick a band instrument now. So I was like, okay, cool. Like um, saxophones. That's I knew it, that's what I wanted to do because my cousin played one. Um, and then just kept like snowballing from there. Like I said, I saw that drummer in church, and then, um, you know, it was the next thing I know. The drummer's like, hey, I've got an extra drum kit in my house. Do you want it? Do you want to put it in your basement? So we went over to his house and we got this big drum set with tons of cymbals. And like my parents were like, all right, we're going to put it in the basement. And I don't know if they regret that decision or not. Cause it was probably really loud all the time. Um, but yeah, again, I just kept snowballing and kept adding more instruments in because you know, I'd be playing one and while I'm playing that, I'm looking around at what other people are playing. And I also want to play that one too. So, so yeah. how many instruments could you say that you're competent in? I would say, I mean, like probably around ballpark seven and some of those, it's kind of like, you know, I play piano, but I also p can play organ B3 stuff, which mm. you're a piano player, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know that like a piano and playing a B3 and organ, they're completely, completely different. different. Right. So, um, yeah, so somewhere ballpark in there and it, that's great. You know, working in the studio too, is just to yeah. be able to like kind of. Switch off and Starts. do whatever and overdub and all that. Yeah, jazz. pretty much. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like, okay, my part's done now. It's just, and just like, sit and wait and watch. Yeah. It's like, okay, now what can I play? So <clears throat> you did this, picked this up in school. Do you go to marching mm -hmm. band? Do you do? Yeah. So um, I would say I was primarily doing bass. So I played bass in the orchestra and then I played saxophone um, through, you know, regular band and then jazz band started to happen in middle school. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was the first time they introduced you to, like, hey, you can, like, improvise, too. You can stand up, take a solo, and play whatever you want. I'm like, whoa. So that's just kind of, like, that concept was amazing. Um, so I started to kind of get more into that, and I was focusing more on saxophone um, and was playing. I got a really good teacher. I got hooked up with um, Steve Fieldhouse in York, um, who's just an incredible jazz musician from uh, – studied out in North Texas and uh, came back up to the area here. And I mean, there was like saxophone boot camp with him. Um, so that went in through high school. So yeah, I did marching band. Um, we had a, a big band program at the high school, which was amazing. Um, again, like I said, the, the uh, school district really cared a lot about the arts. So um, to Mr. Martini there at uh, Central York and, you know, the opportunities that those educators gave us was great. I mean, I remember having a class, I think it was my junior or senior year where you had like a 90 minute block every day of like practice time. Like you'd be in a little practice room, you could work on stuff, whatever you wanted. We'd have recitals. Um, wow. Yeah. It was like almost like college level. And like we got that when we were, you know, just high school kids. That's awesome. So yeah. So between that and then jazz band, we'd have jazz nights um, where they would set the band room up like a, a nightclub and, have lights and it was recorded and it was amazing so um yeah i was doing really that cool. all through high school and then eventually into college we got there um so i went to lebanon valley and then studied with studied with uh tom stroman um who was an 
huge influence on, I guess, my playing and probably my character too. Every saxophone lesson with him was, you learn a lot on the instrument, but it was like a therapy session too. Um, so kind of having like a, a guru like that in your life is super important. Absolutely. Especially in that time period. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So he's a, he's a hero of mine and hopefully he's, I mean, he's listening. I'll, I'll send him a text and say, Hey, you should listen to this. Give him a shout out. So what but, do you think is one of the most memorable lessons you learned in college? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me something like that. <laughs> um, huh. That's a tricky one. I don't know. I mean, you just, you learn so, I think you learn so much and like how to be flexible and how to, um, learn dealing with different people and like at that point you're on your own and it's just like kind of how to represent yourself yeah i mean and i think getting to college was a chance to like okay you've been around the same people all your life in high school you're starting over fresh you've got new new teachers new instructors new friends people that you're living with your reputation starts at zero yeah yeah, yeah. and it was great and i think that really gave you a chance to like decide okay who do i want to be and as a person, like, what are my values? Um, you know, your work ethic in school. So I, I think learning to be flexible and how to, how to work with other people, um, was probably the biggest thing in it's a college, I guess. Giant skill. To, but there's so much yeah. you learn in that amount of time too. Not just in the classroom, but just about right. social things in life. Yeah. let's say, well, being flexible is one of the most valuable things you could learn as a musician Yeah, because mm -hmm. you have to be flexible as a musician. Um, whether it be instrumentally yeah. or socially, mm -hmm. especially, yeah. exceptionally, I have hard problems with words. <laughs> yep. Sometimes they get twisted. Yeah. So what'd you do after college? Uh, so after college, um, I worked for a couple sound companies. So I, I went to college for saxophone performance, but also, mainly my initial degree was for music recording, audio engineering. Um, so I still do that stuff today. Uh, that's not my full-time gig, but um, right after college, I was doing live sound um, for a company, and I was working at Right Coast Recording um, with Bobby Gentillo. Um, so he's the producer and the head engineer down there. So getting into projects with him. Um, yeah. So and been there ever since. So it's almost... I guess it's been about eight years since I graduated and still running around hanging at the studio. And Did you ever do gigs in between your like college, collegiate career and all that stuff, or was it mainly just college-focused? During college? Yep. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, so in college, I, you know, I still, in high school, I kind of came out of playing, which this is a huge chapter in my life too, so I don't know if we got to back up or not, but um, I was playing in a, uh, my high school band, um, was a little ivory blues band and um yeah we can't do this podcast without bringing them up but uh so we it was a blues band that we made in high school and well i wasn't even in it to begin with i just had a pa system because um I, my dad and i built a recording studio in the basement of our house once the you know drum sets and everything was were down there my really bad band from middle school was practicing and um so we got a pa system and uh so my friends that were in Little Ivory were like, hey, we're doing a gig. We need a, we need some speakers. Like, you've got some, right? Can you hook us up? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll run sound for you. And I, I think I recorded them too. And we recorded an album at like a live show and mixed it, which is super cool. I think it was in 10th grade then. Um, but 
then they invited me in the band because like you play saxophone too right i'm like yeah and it just kind of like ever since then i mean we've we played for years and uh you know my best man at my wedding is the singer aaron i don't know if he's listening or i think he's out in the west coast right now so maybe he's not awake yet but uh <laughs> um yeah so it's like the amount of experience and fun that we had that carried over into college too getting back to your original question so we were still playing shows um off and on with that band and then with bobby at the studio uh because i'd interned there we started a new band um that kind of stole some band members from little ivory so the bass player alex degnan who still plays with us um and aaron lewis is um he was just one of the singers in that band too. And he was in little ivory and he plays with us still too, when he's around. Um, so yeah, but those two bands kind of overlapped in my college years. So we were still, um, I was definitely still playing on the weekends when I wasn't in school. That's awesome. Yeah. So getting back to right coast recording, yeah. tell me about all the stuff they do, what you do with them and all that jazz. Well, I guess that's where it comes back to like my bio where I say I'm a do it all kind of guy. Yeah. I do lots of things at Right Coast. So, um, so I recorded there in college for a, a project that I was doing by myself for school. Um, I was submitting a jazz chart that I wrote for um, a composition competition thing. Um, and then Bobby, we had known each other from Little Ivory Days. And uh, he was like, hey, like, you want to be in this band? Like we're putting this funk soul band together. And, uh, I was like, yeah, it sounds awesome. And they invited me over for a rehearsal and I was like totally blown away by how cool that band was. And, you know, at that point it was like, you're just living at the studio. We'd have rehearsals twice a week. Um, I would like get out and, um, class and drive down from college. Um, and they just hang there as much as I could. And then um, it was my semester where I needed to do an internship. I guess it was over the summer. So I stayed at Right Coast and um, so I could still play with the band. And we recorded, you know, tons of stuff. And got, Bobby and I formed a, a good, really good relationship at that point. And uh, yeah, I've been there kind of ever since, working on whatever comes through the doors and like, you know, like I said, do it all kind of guy, whether I'm playing on projects, I'm kind of, I've helped engineer for projects. I've done some mastering there. Um, and we do a lot of video stuff now. So my, I would say the biggest thing that I contribute at this point to the studio is, you know, bringing cameras and lights and making videos. So. What do you think have been some of the most interesting guests to perform for or record uh, coming through there? Hmm. Man, it's been, it's been cool. Like, just a huge range, especially the saxophone too. It's like you wouldn't, some artists that I've played with, um, like locally, I, I think I did a, a project where I was recording for um, Tauntaun. So they're a uh, Nielsen family band now. Um, oh, yeah. Jordan Capizzi, yeah. So I played on one of their records. Um, so I think I played Barry on that. Um, so that's kind of more of like your like singer-songwriter, indie rock, but like experimental weird sounds. Um, so getting the saxophone in that, um, but right now we've been working on, um, a project with, uh, a friend down in New Orleans, uh, Tiffany Pollock. Yeah. So we're, we've been working on a, a new track. Um, so that's been cool. It's just like a huge mix of different things. Yeah, Tiffany's amazing. If you haven't heard of her, look up Tiffany Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K. Yeah. Yep. 
incredible voice. Yeah, she's cool. She's a good time. Good, very good time. Uh, so, what do you think would be good advice for musicians who want to come into a studio recording? What should they prepare, and what's the process like for a new musician coming into a recording studio? Um, I mean, it's again being knowing your song and, and i guess sometimes though when you come into the studio you might not have the song figured out yet you might have a lot of the parts but the fun thing about being in the studio is that's when you you have the freedom and flexibility to write it you mm. know um and if you have a good producer that's involved um they can create what you have and just like enhance it and kind of help steer you into to places to like this song can really blossom um so I think having knowing your part and knowing your role, but also again being flexible and being open to suggestion and direction and just being like genuinely curious of like, okay, what can we do and being excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that just coming in with that mindset allows you to like really create something cool. And 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 also piggyback on to I know your producer, know your master, uh like for example, know your Bobby Gentello, uh, know what he's know what he's capable of, because um, you don't want to walk into a studio not knowing the people who run it, right? Yeah, right. Um, you got to know who you're working with. Um, and that goes with you know musicians too. Yeah, with anybody. Like really. having, it's like a cake. <laughs> you know, you got to have really, you got to have all the right ingredients, or your cake's not going to come out right when you pull it out of the oven. That's right. So. Just having all the right people um, that you get along with, that you know, they're not there to, you know, exploit or yeah, or just like, you know, everybody to be friends and be in the same wavelength, and then have have a producer and or an engineer that is also genuinely interested and excited about your project, you know, and then and you guys all have your stuff together on your end too. I mean, that's those are all the ingredients that once you start mixing that together, you have a lot of fun and create something really special. So speaking of that for you, have you ever made anything, ever composed anything? You said something about uh, composition and competition. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I do some writing. Um, I wouldn't say that's my primary gig is, is a songwriter. I've got friends that are really good at that. So right. <laughs> that's kind of why I, I um, list myself as a sideman because I love performing and I do write. Um, but yeah, only a few things, but if you're on my YouTube channel, there's a couple, um, I only have a couple uploads on there. I should do more. I will do more. There it is. Yeah, you will. I will. Never say you should. This is advice. Not should. I will. Never say should. Say you will. But then if I don't, if I don't follow through, then I'll be really upset with myself. It gives you even more motivation to do it. Right. Say, oh, I haven't done it, but But, I will. I'll do uh, it right now. Yep. (laughs) So I do have tracks um, on there, um, but I, I like to co-write with people because again, like I've got some friends that are just incredible at what they do. So I just love, they're going to take ideas that I have and they're just going to elevate them. Elevate. Yep. Um, and you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, yeah. And I guess one song that we wrote together, um, it was going back to Shrimp Boat Days. Um, and I don't know if we could, we could play we this track here in a minute because yeah. I think people might be wanting to hear some music. Sure. Um, so Shrimp Boat was just such a fun band to play with. And we all wrote this together in the studio. Um, and, you know, each like 
again, like I said, co-writing, you've got so many people with their strengths and then if you can write as a crew and you create something awesome. So what is so, this song specifically about? What's the vibe? So this song is very like, I mean, it's an instrumental track. Um, okay. It's all about just like, this band was all about groove. Just like when we would be up on stage and for the first note that we would hit together, it's just people are, you want the people to just move and be ready to dance. And that was the coolest thing about the first rehearsal. I remember sitting in with that band, just totally blown away about the, how like groovy they were. And uh, so this song's pretty much all about that. I said this is Shrimp Boat by Slicky Ricky. Slicky Ricky, Shrimp Boat. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that was Shrimp Boat by yeah. Sticky Licky. Man, Sticky that band Licky. was fun. Yeah, that's that's the composition process of that must have been really fun. Yeah, it's cool. Because, I mean, so many people in that band, they had, like, come from different backgrounds, different experiences, and, like, we get together and, like, everybody adds their little secret sauce. Speaking of, of the band, who was all in it? All right, so Shrimp Boat was a big band, which, yeah, I mean, it was made it fun, but made it challenging trying to schedule things. But um, so Bobby Gentillo was the band leader, um, so he was on guitar there. And then um, uh, Jason Hoffheins was on drums. Um, he's just killing it. So good. I love playing with Jason. Um, and then Alex Degnan's on bass, which we still play with now. We still play with Jason, too, when he's around, but he's down in Virginia now. Um, so he he comes up for some gigs with Bobby, depending on schedules. Um, so yeah, Alex Degnan on bass, killing it. And then uh, Derek Jenkins was on B3. Mm-hmm. I was just like pocket, soulful, just playing, always playing the right thing. Back there was just, you know, super funky. He's a cool dude. Um, and then saxophones, uh, I was playing tenor. And then um, my friend Travis Burley was playing alto on that track too. Nice. And then after that, you guys decided to, or did you decide to turn it into a big band arrangement? Okay, yeah. So in college, um, I had a, I was taking a jazz composition course, and or I think it was just a generalized composition course, but, um, and that was also with Tom Stroman. And so we had to pick a song, and we had to arrange it for an ensemble. Um, and I was listening to you and Mike Bits, and you guys were talking about the finale and like learning in instrument ranges and everything so um yeah it's like a learning that whole process of like okay i'm gonna write a song i'm gonna arrange it for trumpets four-part trumpets four-part trombones and like trying to learn what what everybody's range capabilities are um so for that i use this slicky ricky track um it just kind of it was always in my head kind of like this could go that direction Mm -hmm. if we wanted to um so I wrote that in college and we actually played it with the jazz band. It was like kind of our, the final for that project was to direct it and That's cool. to pass out all the charts and then do like a quick run through, make sure everybody hits certain sections that you feel like you should probably brush up on quick as a group. And then, yeah, we recorded it and you, you know, I would stand up as the director and run the show. Um, so, but you know, sight reading that stuff and especially when they're charts, still aren't perfect yet because it's like your first real chart that you're making for a whole group. So um, there's some sections where like people are like, did you mean to write that? <laughs> right. Um, right. So it was kind of like a, I would say it was like a demo version. All right. So then COVID happened, everybody was trapped at home. Um, and that gave me an opportunity to sit and be like, okay, you know, I was, I was off work. I still work. Like I work in a hospital. So it was my day off and I'm like, all right, I don't have anywhere to go, so I'm going to just go through my hard drives. So I'm scrolling through, and I came across the Slicky Ricky PDFs for all the charts. I'm like, you know what? I've got a lot of really cool friends that are at home right now with nothing to do. They all have computers and mics. So you know what? I'm just going to record my parts, and I'm going to send this everywhere and then have my friends record you know, the charts. I mean, I cleaned up a couple things here and there and right. just say, hey, don't worry about this note or switch this F sharp to like, I don't know, a G sharp or whatever. Um, so I sent that out and that was two years ago and it still took me about two years to finish it. <laughs> Just getting distracted with other projects and, 
you know, Such life. Such the life as the musician. Yeah, you know, um, get excited about a lot of things, and that ends up pulling you in five different directions, and then you don't necessarily finish everything. But um, I, this podcast was great because you asked me about it and said, what do you have that you could bring to the table? I'm like, you know what? I will finish I that. Will. Still. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I finished it. I think it was like last week. I didn't, I added my last, the last thing we wanted to add was my saxophone solo. And I waited until the last minute to put my solo on top. And then I mixed and mastered it last week. And uh, yeah, so we've got a version of it now. This is going to be its world debut. This is Slicky Ricky's. Slicky Ricky. Big Big Band band, The Big Band Edition. By Logan Kurtzak. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Slick Ricky's uh, Big Band Arrangement by Logan Kurtzak. Dude, what was it like as a high school person getting up 
getting up to direct your own piece, was that nerve-wracking for you, or were you just... I think so. I think I was more nervous. Like, this was in college that I wrote this. I think this was my... Really, my junior year I did it. Oh, gotcha. Um, I think the, the most nerve-wracking part of it was, like, in my head, this sounds like it's going to be cool, but once it's on paper and in front of, you know, 30 people, is this going to sound like a train wreck? I feel like it right. might. You don't... You never know. Um... But yeah, it came out. I mean, this this version has a couple tweaks in it, um, just uh, harmony wise. Maybe one note worked a little better, but um, it was pretty close to the original. And uh, yeah, but this one was fun because I got to handpick like my friends too. Um, yeah, that's I'm, awesome. Now, so and all my friends are, probably haven't heard this yet. So this was like the first time, other than Jason. I sent it to Jason the other day because he said he wouldn't be a, around to watch it live. So I'm like, okay, you'll get it in a text, but. Um, yeah, so on keys, that was Aaron Trissat playing piano. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that, Aaron. Um, and, uh, I mean, that had Jonathan Lacey on trombone. And A.J. Myers is playing all the trumpet parts. And um, Jason Hoffheins, uh, he was on drums there. And then my buddy from Colombia, uh, Eduardo Oviedo, he um, was playing all the hand percussion stuff. Um, and who else did I send this to? I played bass on it. Um, oh, okay. I played guitar on it also. I think that might have been it. I think that might have been the crew. And if I'm forgetting someone, I'm sorry. I'll let you punch me later. <laughs> that's awesome. It that's. Oh, I wish I could do stuff like that. Because I'm, I'm not a. I can. I know I can. But it's it's a, a lot of jazz theory and a lot of uh, arranging stuff that I haven't gotten into yet. I really do want to get into. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know the the concepts like the core with composition of instrument ranges and yeah. everything like that. And then at that point, it's just you know like doing stuff. With yeah, them. and you're a piano player too already. Right. So much of these harmonies and everything. I mean, I wrote it all on piano. If anything, I I wrote out sections all in piano first. So then I would just take those notes and transpose them to where they needed to go. Because whenever you're arranging stuff like this, it's not like you're you're working with multiple transpositions. Mm-hmm. So altos are in E flat, Barry's in E flat, uh tenors are in B flat, and you got trumpets and trombones are in there. It's like after a while That's why can you can't those. Yeah, you have to start somewhere all in one world. Yep. Then transpose it out and hope that it's in the right range. You know, that's that's why I, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of music score. We were talking about it with yeah. bits, but you can put that in concert pitch and it gets it puts it all in concert whatever. And then automatically transposes. Automatic transposes. Yeah. Yeah. I forget how I did it. I think I probably, I did this all in finale, but I'm pretty sure. Hate finales with passion. I'm pretty sure I transposed it out myself, probably because it was part of the process of just like understanding that. It does help. Yeah. It does help. It's it's mind boggling and it's frustrating, but it does help. Yeah. But that stuff is, you know, you have your software to help with it. But once Mm -hmm. you start getting down to like, okay, now we're looking at theory and what chord. Okay, so we're doing this chord, but is it, you know, how do I want to arrange notes? What what notes do I want to put in this for? What color do I want? And that's where it starts getting tricky and mm-hmm. there's more theory involved and you get the different levels of jazz that are involved. Yeah. Which I was I started that super young. Like I said Steve Fieldhouse when I took saxophone lessons as a kid with saxophone boot camp. He uh yeah, I mean from a middle school age, I mean it was very driving hard on the um theory Working That's on scales, true. knowing knowing the difference, like, you know, talking about dominance and two five one progressions and everything, 
how everything relates. And then, then you get into the college level and it's like, okay, dominance cool. But now let's alter dominance. How are we altering them? And then you get all these Our beautiful, stuff. all these beautiful color tones that you can stack on top on these extensions. So yeah, if you want to learn theory, do it earlier than later. Because it gets so complex, and mm-hmm. uh, also the way that the brain uh, works in regards to learning, you learn better when you're younger. Make sure you learn theory young if you want to get into like jazz and stuff, because that stuff is complex. Yeah, or it can but, get complex. But you know, you can also like, you can learn that stuff at any point. Obviously, you could. yeah, you can. And I think a- honestly, like, I went back to school again, did a, a career change, and it's funny, like going back to it a second time. I felt like I. I did learn differently mm. as I was more mature, I guess. I approached it differently. Well, not that I didn't take school seriously when I was younger. It was just a totally different perspective, you know? Yeah. And I feel like you in college, like I learned how to learn. And then as you get older, it's like, okay, here's this thing that I need to figure out how to do. I know how my brain works when I'm trying to absorb material, whether that be music or reading a book learning how to do something, watching YouTube tutorials, how, how to fix your car. I don't know, like anything. Like yeah. you eventually learn how your brain's wired for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So you, we also have some tracks by uh, Bobby Gentillo himself. Yes. Which we're going to get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So we, um, Bobby and I, like I said, we've been doing projects together forever. Um, and, uh, Bobby had been working on his record for a long time. I don't want to steal too much of his thunder here, though, because here's the thing. We're going to get him on this, this say, podcast, it, so I don't want to tell Bobby's story. No, not at all. If he's still watching. I don't want to steal your thunder. But I'll just talk about my role yeah. in this and kind of just in general, like it's kind of steering into that um, sideman role, which I, that's, I've found that that's my comfort spot. Oh, I see Eduardo's there. Yeah. Hey, hey. What's up, man? Tuning in from South America. Love it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think as a sideman, that's, that's been my comfort zone because I know I'm not a singer-songwriter. Nobody wants to listen to me sing. I sing to my dog in my house, so that's important. And I'll sing backups if need be, but I, you tuck me in in the mix. Right. I know my pitches. I'm good there. I just, you know, I know better singers. Um, so I just love being able to support those people and find my place and you know kind of in shrimp boat i learned a lot a lot a lot a lot about how to fit in um musically um what makes a band tight and talk about learning it. those skills has been invaluable i mean really it can, lets you play with anybody doing anything yeah. even though that was a soul band you know just learning how how to take your instrument and bring it to the table when you're around other musicians. So what do the skills look like? What, what are some of the things you, you have to think about? What are some of the things that you've are mistakes that maybe you've made in order to figure that out? Or I would say the biggest thing, there's a lot of important things. Um, and that's what makes music so much fun. Mm. Um, groove time rhythm is huge. Being in the groove is the number one thing in my opinion. Absolutely. So, and playing with that band, you know, as a group, you sound like one. Um, and you learn to be in that pocket. And that can be, the pocket is kind of, people always talk about that. Like, yeah, the drummer's in the pocket. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, that's not like, 
that doesn't mean you're trapped to this grid of like playing precisely on each metronome beat, you know, because it's it's a spectrum when you're you're alive. playing a groove, it's live. But you know, when you're all locked into a tempo, you're locked into a drummer's groove. That's the first thing that has to happen to play together, you know, and that's the first thing that a a uh, listener or an audience member is going to notice is like when that band hits that first hit together, people are like, Ooh, Ooh. that was tight. That's what they mean. Like everybody's, everybody is on it. They're feeling the same thing. And the audience feels that. Um, so yeah, bringing that into the studio, it's the same thing. Um, when you're taking solos, it's the same thing, you know, just having that groove and, and that pulse in everything you do. And, you know, that's a, it's a big Victor Wooten thing. He's, Everything's about groove. I've got a groove sticker on my um, on my saxophone case. Um, and you can play the wrong note. If you play it in the right time with the right groove, someone might notice it, but... It's just jazz at that point. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's jazz, just jazz, man. man. No, but I mean, that's huge, you know? And uh, so I would say that was number one for me is learning that. And I learned that a lot from playing with um Bobby and Jason on drums, you know, having that tight of a pocket back there. It's yeah. life changing. Even <laughs> yeah, like if you especially if you want to walk up on stage with somebody and uh, yeah. I remember, remember this is uh thank you about Bobby for giving me this experience. I asked if I could jump on keys at the Roots and Blues Jam yeah, yeah. Fest yep. and I, I hopped up the, up there. Granted, um I had known what was going on. I knew I know most of the like the regular blues forms like you know, get your 12 bar and whatnot. yeah there was a lot of 12 bar happening that night there was a lot of 12 bar and i was <laughs> yeah. like i can do that i know how to do that um but there was one song it was just e forever yep and it scared the life out of me that is some of the hardest stuff to play and solo over i'm telling you one yeah. one chord jams is not easy not easy and it's scary because everyone started looking at me to do a solo i'm like i don't know how to solo an e i don't know how to solo one key yeah <laughs> and that's uh, you know, stuff that you uh, have to learn. So all I did was I, uh, you were watching me. I was just staying on the rhythm. Just, mm-hmm. uh, what was it? E, the G, the E back again. Um, Maybe. Well, whatever it was, that's, yeah. that, that's what I did. And I, I stood there and uh, mm-hmm. I tried to l- whatever licks that I knew in E, but I couldn't. And uh, so it was a gigantic learning experience for me. Of course, everyone said I did great. And I was like, yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Cause that's, that's what you do when, when you say uh, you did great. You just say, thank you. You don't say anything else. Yeah. Right. Because um, <laughs> you don't want to take away the magic, right? Yeah. Uh, but you better b- believe it now. I can solo. I can solo jam on E or in any key. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to let that ha- ever happen to me again. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard soloing when the chords are moving by super fast. That's true. If I'm on a bandstand and someone's calling giant steps, I'm probably going to get off and hide under the table. But <laughs> um, at the same time. Yeah, there's so much space. It's like, okay, we got one chord. Here's a groove. Do something with it. Right. Do you need a solo for one, two minutes? You know, I don't know. But um, yeah, so, and that's where you kind of rely on, okay, rhythm and then taking a melodic idea. I mean, there's a, you know, 10,000 ways to approach it, but you just start thinking about other things. It's like, okay, I got this one scale or, okay, do I live in more of a rhythmic thing right now? Yeah. One note, one note solo kind of thing. Okay. After a while, do I introduce this little idea and then do I transpose that idea up a fourth, up a fifth, up a half step, kind of go outside for a second, come back. Like, you know, that's just a good 
thing to practice. You just get like a YouTube video on of like, and I do that from time to time too, because it's again, like I said, it's a skill, even though it sounds simple, um, just go on YouTube and finding like, you can find a groove at just about any tempo and any key on YouTube and it'll go for 10 minutes. It'll loop, turn it on, do that with comfortable keys so that you can get your ideas and feel good about your playing. And then start doing that in uncomfortable keys. Mm. I'm going to do the same thing, but in a flat, no, <laughs> right. But yeah. You know, and just start moving it around. Yeah. It's an invaluable resource. YouTube, uh, with anything, yep. you can look up any song, you can look up any, any, whatever, and have it at your fingertips to play along to, or to groove to, you can even slow down the time on YouTube if you really want to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you start to lose quality, but, but you know. it's still there. Yeah. Right. And that's how I, you know, there's certain solos that I really like if I want to transpose it or uh, transcribe it. Yeah. YouTube slow down, slow down function. Yeah. Yep. That's an important part of the process is slowing it down first. Cause if you play it sloppy and learn it sloppy, then it's going to be stuck in your fingers and it's going to take five times longer to unlearn that and relearn the right thing. So learn it right. Slow down your metronome. Yeah. And then get back up to speed. And not saying I'm great at that because I want to I want to hit the ground running oh, first all the time. So every musician does. Yes, it's uh, I mean it's a definitely check yourself. Like slow down first, you'll get there. Um, discipline yourself. It's one another skill that uh, musicians have to learn mm-hmm. is discipline, because if you're not disciplined in your training and your uh, practicing and your whatever, it's gonna be a lot harder. Yeah, and I think and that's a hundred percent true you know, just spending time with your instrument um, or your craft, whatever that is, not even musically. Oh, not even musically, yeah, um, for sure. Spending time with it. I mean, it's the only way you get better at it. But I think um, coming back to music, practicing, I, it's super important. It was super important for me to always do something that you absolutely love while you're practicing. So instead of saying like, okay, I'm going to practice my scales like okay we're gonna do a bunch of scales now and cool they're important um they're not fun you don't like Mm. you're not afterwards you're like ah. i mean i guess you can be proud of yourself for grinding through it but um i like to always end my practice sessions with i started doing that in college but with tracks that like i could play along to or nowadays it's like you know queue up youtube and uh something that's comfortable that you know you can play really really well or something that you really enjoy doing and that's what you end on because then you end on a high note you feel really good about yourself you feel like yeah i did that i had a good time good way to end end on a high note and that'll bring you back next time yeah and even then practicing scales you can practice scales in all sorts of different ways you can Mm -hmm. you can uh swing it you can turn it into funk you can because that's gonna help you apply those scales to different genres as well yeah yeah so when i do scales now it's i'm queuing up youtube and i'm finding in some kind of cool groove that i'm going to enjoy playing to whether i'm doing you know just running straight up and down major scales or if i'm doing i don't know a half hole ultra dominant scale whatever just like make it fun and then at the same time you're subconsciously working on that groove staying in the pocket thing which is so incredibly important when you're playing with people what do you think is the hardest genre? What was the hardest genre for you to adapt to as a saxophonist? I mean, I definitely would say 
jazz has been the most complicated. And I would never mm-hmm. say, I did study jazz in college. I would not call myself a jazz saxophonist. I've studied it, but I know so many guys that are so good at it. And I'm not stealing that title from them. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because there's so much to learn. But I would say going back to, you know, applying saxophone to a certain style of music, I would say it was challenging at first playing the hill country. So mm-hmm. going back to, you know, kind of what I'm doing now, playing hill country blues, um, it's funny. People are like, oh, yeah, it's blues. It's a 12 bar. It's this or that. It's like, uh, I mean, sometimes, but it's a very trancey blues. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can play a groove for 30 minutes, you know, and you got to keep it interesting and fun. And that's that's their party music down there in Mississippi. Nice. You know, like if you're out of juke joints out in the country, like like people are, they've been whatever, out working all day or it's their weekend, that's their night out. Like they're going to have a good time and that's the music they're playing. They all get together, whether it be at some res juke joint or whatever. And, you know, that's how they have fun. So, um, but going back to like applying saxophone to that is when you go to those shows, um, you know, juke joints, whatever, saxophone is very rare to see there so you know primarily i was a tenor player um started out in alto i played alto for years and years college i kind of transitioned to more tenor and then shrimp boat i played more tenor but now i'm on barry because well one barry's just cool it's cool it looks cool on stage good sound um it's, it's a lot of fun to play but i found that in hill country i was able to just blend with the bass guitar Mm. just double the bass guitar's line 100%. And then it almost added like this distorted bass thing. So I kind of left the role as a saxophonist and just was kind of in bass world, which I play bass too. So it's like, that was familiar to me. Um, But having to like do that, support that with your lungs for (laughs) a long time was challenging. And I think, being able to know that like, okay, my role is to play this bass groove, not to play anything else. Don't step on anybody's toes because these guys from Mississippi have been playing like RL Boyce has been playing forever and ever and ever. Like, you know, that's, it's their show. You're supporting them. And then as a sideman, it's the same thing. Like you're not stepping on other people's toes. You're there to, to elevate them, support them and make the group sound cool. And uh, we did a festival with RL and um, that was my first time really doing it. And it's like, you know, he flew up from Mississippi and I'm there on this big festival stage to back him up. And uh, yeah, you just got to get in the zone. And it was tricky because they're hard to follow sometimes too. You're mm-hmm. playing and it, you might be staying on the one chord forever and ever and ever. And then we're going to the four chord, but we're not going to do it on the downbeat. He's going to do it on, I don't know, beat four of whenever. It's just like you just all of a sudden you're there. So you're being flexible, ready to react. And using your ears, yeah, get your ears trained is huge. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Knowing when a chord is going to move yeah. is so and, important. And being able to pick up and know that, okay, we just went to the four and being able to hear that is a good skill to work on for sure. And being self-aware as well. Cause yeah. there were, you might've, the audience wouldn't realize it, but there were so many cues that the lead guitarist or the singer or mm-hmm. whatever just gave showing that we were going to move or, this was yeah. going to happen or a beat was going to happen. And sometimes they're super subtle and you so, only pick that up. Subtle. Yeah. You only pick that up after playing with people for a long time. 
and everybody's a little different too yeah um so and that just comes with hanging out having a good time playing together so yeah but uh learning that blues stuff i think that helped tame my my ideas in my mind in a good way because sometimes it's you know my brain's just exploding with like 500 different things and it doesn't stop and playing that hill country stuff you have to block all that out you were like okay i'm gonna do this now it's like no that's not what's right that's not what's right for the song it's a time and a place yeah and having that self-control then those ideas when it's your turn to solo makes it that much more special like i have something to say now and it's my turn to say something mm-hmm. and everybody you know everyone in the band's looking at you and they they want you to solo and then when you that they they then support you yeah and then you can get your ideas out because it's your turn and then you come back and then you support them again it's just the whole like push and pull learning to work with each other it's a conversation and, yeah it's sure. happening mm-hmm. you, you don't want to step on the toes of whoever's talking per se and that's what's magical about it yeah and that's something uh that you must learn you must learn you can't play saxophone the entire time or you can't play a, a quote-unquote accessory instrument the entire time unless of course, you're filling in like a bass roll or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. But you have to find your times and places where you can shine in and mm-hmm. uh, cut through, or not necessarily cut through, but like elevate the piece itself. And then you have your turn to do to rip and do all the things you ever wanted to do right. in that time. And then you, then you step back and hear the response to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you play with musicians at higher levels or at, at all levels, people respect that. Yeah, you know they know that they they feel that you're giving them respect, and then they return that to you. As I say, if you if you're a person who's step, uh, stepping on people's toes, they're not going to give you that solo opportunity because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're you're trying to this whole time. Yeah, right. It's like you've <laughs> been trying to this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Be respectful of uh, your front man. Yeah. Yep. And then ultimately, you're there to to sound as one. Right. And that is the best feeling. And that's what I loved about playing with Shrimpo and playing with Bobby's band now is like we worked so hard and worked with that other band to sound like one unit. And when you're locked in and you we could be playing the most simple I could be playing whole notes on the saxophone, me and Travis and in, in that you know, in Shrimpo or now it's like I'm playing whole notes but I'm locked in with the bass guitar. When we're all like that it is literally my favorite feeling when playing because it's like, man, we sound good. This is awesome. It's not the solos. I like soloing, you know, but that's my favorite. How long does it take you to uh, figure out a set or are you just one of those musicians that steps up and like, oh, I got it. I can figure it out. What, figure out like the set list or? Like say if someone calls, uh, this song everybody knows, but someone calls like House of the Rising Sun and Maybe you've never heard of it before, but they start playing it. Can you pick it up immediately? or? Yeah, so that kind of stuff is definitely more um, ear training based. So, yeah, if someone calls up a song that maybe I've never heard before, um, it's, again, like, respect. You stay back. You know your place. And you use that as an opportunity to, like, listen. I'm just going to listen. And the beauty of playing other instruments, too, is I can look. And while without having to, like, hey, what key are you in? I just watch their hands. Yeah. I watch I can watch a piano player's hand. That gets tricky if you're trying to look upside down. If you're on the opposite side of the piano, but 
after doing it a few times, you can see, okay, I see his fingers there and we're definitely on the root right now. So, okay, I'm going to, we're definitely in, I don't know. Whatever key. We're at E right now or G or whatever. Yeah. And then you can start hearing the chord movement behind. And if you've worked on ear training like that too, um, and that comes from just, you know, doing it. doing it or just listening to music, figuring it out on your instrument at home, sitting down at the piano or your guitar, whatever you play. Um, and knowing that, okay, I'm on the minor two here, or that's what the four to five motion sounds like. Then you take those skills. When you're up on stage supporting somebody, or yeah, times where they're like, hey, we got this guy here. He's, you know, he plays saxophone. We want him to be a part of this song. Come on up here. And you're like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I've never played with you before. Here we go. And then, but if you go up there, play it cool, and use your ears, you'll get through it. I'll say, and uh, being tame is another. Like we mentioned, yeah. If you don't know what you're doing, tame, tame mm-hmm. yourself, yeah. Uh, because it's gonna be way more you obvious. Go up there and play some wild stuff, and you don't know what key you're in yet. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. think anybody would really do that, but you know. no. But some people, some people get so scared that they have to do something like that. Right. You don't have to. You can just stick on the one note that you figured it out. Right. Uh, stick because you can do so much with one note: the playing, the dictation, the uh, uh, what. There are so many terms that I that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but That's you can fine. do so many things. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I just think about like BB King or or uh, some of the you know Kings of Blues, what they do with just one note on their guitar. Mm-hmm. There's so much soul in that kind of stuff. So much soul. I mean, you you play it with a purpose. So and in the groove. Let's hear what you had to say on Vincelo's Ghost. Yeah. So um, it took all of those kind of skills and that playing you know saxophone with like groove based stuff and mixing in some hill country and um bobby had been working on his music for a long time you know he was supporting a lot of other musicians and as a producer or also as a sideman to them he had a whole backlog of songs that he had been writing over time um collecting dust on a hard drive so we uh we brought we started to bring these to life and that kind of led to his record um but uh, for this, you know, it was like a lot of experiment and experimentation and finding sounds. And we ended up kind of landing on this song, which is called Ghost, which I believe Bobby wrote. I think this is the one. It was like late at night, probably two in the morning, which is his like normal working hours <laughs> um, in the studio by himself and just guitar amps cranked. And I think this is the song where he said that after he got done playing this line, I don't know if he was, whether he was just recording it he like felt this like presence, like this hand on his shoulder and turned around there. Obviously there's no one there, of course, but I'm fairly certain our recording studio is haunted and they're all, they've been friendly. They've been friendly. Sometimes you're sitting there mixing like late at night. It's scary to mix with headphones on at nighttime. I'll tell you that. Like if you're checking a mix quick, like you just want to hear it in the cans and um, you're in there by yourself and it's like 1am you like put the headphones on and you're like, I can't hear if anything's walking up behind me, but it's kind of a place that like, sometimes you'll just hear like the thresholds, like the doorways, just like, like someone walked through the room and you turn around, there's nobody there. So, you know, it's probably just like a humidity, like, right. You know, like I could go swelling on. of doorways and whatever, but it makes for a good song title. So this is ghost. Uh, this is off of our record or Bobby Gentilla's record. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Thank you. 
That last that was amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. As Ghost by Bobby Gentello featuring Logan on the saxophone. Where can yeah. people find you and see you and hear so, you? So, yeah, if you can follow me. Um, I'm easy to find. I'm the only Logan Kurtek out there that I know of. Um, so Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, yeah, just look me up there. Uh, I've been playing with Bobby Gentillo. Um, so you can find him, um, our website, www.bobbygentillomusic.com. Actually, no, just bobbygentillo.com. It's G-I-N-T-I-L-O. Correct. Yeah, and that's in the link in the description. Yep, um, well. So you can just click instead of trying to type it in. Um, and then he's on socials too. So we're good at um, posting up things coming here soon. Uh, what's today? Friday. Tomorrow, Lancaster the uh, Balloon Fest. That's right. Yeah, yeah. we're playing there tomorrow. Uh, our set's at six o'clock. We're gonna be on the main stage there. Um, we got the full band for that. That's gonna be featuring um, so Christy Angle on drums, Alex Degnan on bass, um, Nate Young's gonna be on keys, uh, me and Bobby. So that's gonna be a great time. I'm looking forward to that. It's supposed to be beautiful too. Yeah. And then we'll be at Columbia Kettleworks the following weekend. Um, it's an afternoon. There's they're having a benefit. Um, event there. Don't know all the details on that, but I know it's one to three p.m. It's gonna be at Kettleworks in Columbia. Um, so yeah, we'll post more. So if you need to know, and if you want to follow us, you can find us at the Story Core Rosen, C O R Y R O S E N, on all streaming platforms: Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, wherever you find, whatever you do, you're streaming or listening. We're even on YouTube. Uh, we're ending out our radio time, but we're gonna keep going on Facebook Live. So if any of you guys watching on Facebook Live have any questions for Logan that you want to be answered, please be sure to ask them in the comments. With all that said, we're going to get back, get the people on the radio, back to the radio. All right. So. All right. First general question number one. <laughs> Would you want, let's talk about that song a little bit. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. That's completely right. So the radio people get out of this. So yeah. sorry they missed that. But um, yeah, so that track. It was Barry Sax. Uh, I think this is probably one of the first songs that I, we recorded saxophone on for the record. And um, this, with the Barry Sax, I was, we were just trying to find ways to make it different and fun. Mm. Um, and I actually, B3 organ is one of my favorite instruments. Um, really? Oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's so cool. Um, and then, especially with like the spinning Leslie cabinet, Right, so for you non-organ B3 peoples, um, so you've got your organ and that runs through a speaker cabinet, but um, the Leslie has a rotating top horn, um, so all the high end of the organ comes through a horn that spins, and then there's a big speaker on the bottom with a, a drum deflector that also spins, and you can change the speed of that fast and slow, and it kind of gives it that wobble sound. Like a um, vibraphone, almost. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Um, so... It's a lot of fun. It's just a really cool instrument. Like actually from like a design standpoint, it's incredible. All like belts and pulleys and stuff inside of it. Um, so I was like, okay, well, what if we, we plug cords and adapters and go into one of those, you know, the preamp pedal, cause you can run guitar cabinets through Leslie's. I'm like, all right, so what if we put the saxophone through it mm. and we tried it and it was wild sounding. I mean, it was crazy. Um, so we recorded ghost with uh saxophone going through a Leslie cabinet. And uh, we actually toured once with that. We drove down to um, Memphis and um, we were down in Clarksdale in Holly Springs in Mississippi. And we had this big Leslie cabinet in the back of the van and it was a bad idea. 
Oh, because it just went. I mean, it was amazing. It's so cool on stage. You turn it so everyone can see the insides of it spinning around, and they're like, "Wait a minute, that saxophone's going through that box," and because uh, it looks like a big piece of furniture on stage. Um, so it's super interesting from like a show perspective, um, but it's not practical carrying it, <laughs> and especially they're fragile too. You know, there's two tubes in there. You've got little belts and pulleys that you know wear and tear, and plus the thing's like you know seventy years old too. <laughs> so. Um, now I'm much more condensed. Um, I have a pedal board, so I have a little Leslie simulator. I have the mm. Strymon Lex for you pedal nerds out there. So I run my sax through that um, and a few other pedals to just kind of add some extra flexibility to the instrument that I can't go otherwise. Now, do you have like an action or a microphone on your saxophone, or do you have to play into a, uh, a microphone? So I have, I do have a clip-on mic, um, but I tend to prefer playing with a mic on a stand. Um, and that kind of comes back to um, just being able to fit into a, a band and like the one unit sound. I'd love the ability to be able to back away from the microphone mm. and like blend myself. Or if I know that, okay, there's this super low note that I'm gonna hit and coming out of this horn is gonna be blasting loud, but I wanna hit that note, but the band's quiet. Then if you're, if the microphone's attached to your bell, there's there's no backing up. There's no backing off on that one. So I like having a mic that I can kind of mix myself as I move further and closer away. Um, so yeah, I do that. And then I go into a uh, uh, Eventide mixing link pedal, which is a great pedal for vocalists too. It's actually primarily, I think it's for vocalists because um, you can plug a microphone directly into it. It's got a preamp so you can set your, um, set your gain bring it up to line level, which now can go through all of your guitar pedals. So a singer can utilize like, you know, the whole guitar pedal section at your local guitar shop, you know, add that to your arsenal. And then it's got a direct um, XLR output. That's super clean, um, no noise. And you can send that right to your engineer. Um, And it allows you to blend that too. And then you can turn it on and off your effects loop. So, yeah, I go into that, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's addicting. It's probably my wife probably doesn't like it when a new box shows up from Reverb. She's like, "What did you buy now?" <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. It's a, it's any music. Just um, an empty box. Yeah, just an empty box. It's for the cats. Relax. It's for the cats. It's for the cats. It's. I feel like it's every uh, musician's spouse's worst nightmare is just seeing a new delivery from like Amazon yep. or, or whatever, and it's like. No, she's cool. She's supportive of it. So, but I That's usually good. have to explain. This is why. This is why. Yeah, it's justified. more for like guilt on my end. I have to explain. I feel like I have to. She deserves that explanation. Right. <laughs> this is because I do this, and, and I played this gig, and I that paid this for this. Game. So yeah. And I can write it off if I want to. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's been fun. So what do you think has been one of the best pieces of advice that anyone has ever given you? Okay, so <clears throat> I had this, um, like I said, my my day job isn't music. Um, that's my evening and weekend job. But um, so I work in a hospital and... So I was, I work in x-ray and I was uh, in the OR. We were doing a case up there and um, one of the uh, sales reps for the device that, you know, was in that case, um, we just, we would chat a lot. He was a great guy. And um, 
he came up to me one day and he said, can I just give you some advice? Cause I like you. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And he just told me, he said, look, be the guy that whenever you walk into the room, whatever you're doing, whether it's work or like you're coming into the studio or anything, be that guy that when you walk into the room, everybody's glad you're there mm-hmm. um, because they can trust you. Then you, you don't have hangups. You're not going to, you know, you're going to do a good job and you're not going to cause problems. You're not like That's you true. get along with everybody. You're fun to be around. He said, just always strive to be that person. I'm like, wow, that like, that applies in so many different, it applies everywhere. everything, everything, yep. whatever you do, like go in a hundred percent and care and be that person. And people are like, yes, he's here today or we've got him. And that's going to make you successful way more than any skill could ever. Mm-hmm. If you're the best guy to be around or if they're like, I want to go hang out with Logan because he's a really cool guy or I trust this guy or I, it, that's going to get you so much more opportunity. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't necessarily, that doesn't mean that you're the, the best person no. in the world that does that. You, there's, you have so many other great things that you bring to the table Yeah, that, you know, that make that's what makes you good. It's because because if if you're if you're a great player but a horrible person to work with, mm-hmm. chances are you're not going to be working with you're a lot not, of people. You're not getting the gigs. No. no, people. We do we do this because we love it. Right. Um, so we want to the people we surround ourselves with. We want them to add to that experience. Musicians and granted anything you do uh, that you love shouldn't feel like work. No, right. And the time when making music feels like work is when you're working with people you do not yeah. like. Well, and there's times where like, it's going to feel like work to an extent. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, there's times where we're tracking something in the studio or I'm trying to, to write something out or I mean, live. Oh my gosh, we're doing shows and like, you know, Oh, we got to provide a whole PA package with like monitors running our own sound. It's like, okay, the day before I'm loading cable trunks. Like it feels like work, you mm-hmm. know? I'm doing all my counts. I got checklists and, but you do it and you put that effort into because it's like you care about your craft and like you want to be at that high level that you're proud of, you know? And then if you do that on top of having a good time and being surrounded by great people, again, like you've got the recipes to have something really special. I'm curious. You said uh, in the medical field, you work in like x rays. Mm-hmm. Has it ever come helpful for you if a musician injures themselves or? whatever no but i think the most probably the coolest thing is like it's something to talk about and i think i've it's made me really well-rounded for the lack of a better term but like you know i just feel like i have i've had a lot of really cool experiences i've met a lot of really cool people and i think in a way that's like made me enjoy talking to people And then if I have patients that, you know, we get into conversation with, like I feel confident in conversation, we can joke about things or they, I notice they're listening to music in the room and I'm like, wait a minute, is that Debussy? Are you listening to Debussy like classical right now? And they're like, yeah. And then we'll just get into this whole conversation about like music and yeah, I played in orchestra in college and you know, it's great to just be able to have those life experiences to just connect with, just to connect with people, you know? 
So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people make or that you have maybe made yourself in the music industry and how can we curb that for future generations? Ooh. Mistakes. I feel like this is like a job interview. I got to find a way to turn this into like a positive. Like I'm aware of what it is and you know. Well, you, you did it and now you're never going <laughs> to no. do it again, right? Yeah. Um, hmm. I'd say like, I mean, it's not like a huge mistake. Um, trying to find like, like from like a marketing standpoint or like creating content or this is probably not as like, I don't know, existential or anything, some like big life lesson, but um, <clears throat> made tons of like, I could have made better things, I guess. Right. Um, whether it's like as simple as like a Facebook post and like you're learning of how to like how to market yourself and you're like, okay, that was, that was dumb. You when know, you look back on hindsight and you're like, why did I even think that was a good idea at the time? Or, um, so, you know, there'll always be things like that. And I'm sure there's things that I've recently posted or released or whatever that I'm going to look back and be like, I could have been better at that. But I think just being aware and learning from that mm-hmm. is like, being aware of and caring what you're doing, you know, paying attention to the details and um, not necessarily rushing, um, which I think that's, I could get down that rabbit hole too. Um, you know, you get that, um, that you get excited about a project or whatever, and then you just, you just throw all these ideas at it and they end up coming out like 50%, you know, instead of having that, um, focus and like work ethic to like grind through and really get the best thing that you're capable of. And then, which I think is super important. You, you got to hold yourself to a high standard, you know, and anything you do really, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, we're trying to create something special and unique and that takes effort and a lot of hard work. It takes time. Yeah. Yeah, and just being able to look around at the people around you and be like, okay, what are they doing? And then look at, around at people out of your area too. Because yeah. like you get in these little pockets of, they're like, okay, like I'm good enough for here. And it's like, yeah, cool. That's cool. But like, how can we make, how can you go even further? How can we make you know? here better? Yeah, go up. I mean, um, I used to play with uh, Andy Moet's band um, and we would go up to New York City and uh, we'd drive up and play at Rockwood Music Hall at like 2 a.m., like the last slot of the night, and then drive straight home and pull in the driveway at like 6 a.m. when the sun's coming up. But like the other bands that would play were so good. I mean, we played great. I had a lot of fun playing with them. But then you're up there and you're like, wow, these guys are killing it too. And it just really opens your mind to like, you know, where you can go and how good other people are and then just always striving for that and kind of like supporting each other and challenging each other too in the local scene so that everybody can you know we just help each other grow and healthy competition i guess in a way but just like yeah this is healthy growth requires a little bit of competition yeah granted I friendly competition friendly con- yeah no one's over here cutting people or it's not cutthroat <laughs> around here no, right no 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 it's it's very much open it's very much uh come on join us well um you know, yeah. people are very much willing to help each other out around here. And that's yeah. what I really like about the Lancaster area mm-hmm. or Central PA oh my area. Gosh. Even. Yeah. 
even if you go to an open mic or an open jam, people uh, will come up with like a harmonica or they'll come up with a uh, a clarinet or they come up with a trombone and people say, "Hey, come on, join in. We're doing this, this, and that song. Here's the here's here's what it starts on." Yeah, I mean, there's so many incredible musicians around here and like world class people that like live here and then they go out and tour. Like, yeah. they're around. Um, if you've seen half my like a, a lot of my roster is. Yeah, incredible musicians yeah. just living here. Grammy Award winners, uh, Broadway stars, mm-hmm. all these incredible people that yeah, just sure. are based here. Yeah, and here I am, just some guy from York that plays saxophone, and, you're, <laughs> and you get to play with these people. Yeah, yeah. no, it's cool. It, we live in a, a special place, and the, the ability that we can get to a lot of—it's not like we're in Hawaii or something, you know, like like DC and Philly. Right. New York, Boston, like there's a lot of big happening music towns that are like just, and I could get there if I left right now, like I could get there this afternoon kind of thing. Right. So like we're in a really fortunate place that like we've got all this around us that. That's why it's such mm -hmm. a hotbed for incredible, all those New York, their vacation home is here. Yeah. Because rent is cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So what is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you first started? I think the um just like the idea of grinding through stuff that might the same thing that might feel uncomfortable or having that focus to sit down and like okay like I might be getting tired or frustrated with this thing and sometimes when you're in the studio recording you you know the other day I was recording something with Bobby for that Tiffany Tiffany's um project that we're putting together and we were just writing stuff on the fly and I was doing, I had multiple horns. So I was transposing. I had some ideas written out initially for tenor, but like, okay, now I've got to create a harmony to that, but I'm going to use the berry, but the berry's a fourth away. So you're, you, there's so much that you're thinking in the moment while also trying to create something super special mm-hmm. um, that like, you just have to learn to, you've got to grind through that and not just be like, okay, that was good enough. And then surrounding yourself with people that will push you so that you get there. And when time's kind of like, you know, you're at the gym, you're bench pressing, and you're like, I think that's good. That's probably fine. I'm good at six. But you've got, like, someone there that's like, come on, keep going. Like, you've got more in you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that learning that, being able to push past that uncomfortable point to get something cool. It's a really good skill to have and learn. There's a balance there, too. There's a point to where you want to be pushed. You don't want to overdo it at all. Yeah. Yeah, because then you can have a bad experience. You yeah. know, there's times that, like, I've recorded certain sections and, like, it's taken me longer than in my head I feel like I should have had or uh, took me longer than it should have taken. Um, but, you know, so then, then you can leave and kind of feel defeated, you know, re- especially, like, in the studio. You can really – you learn a lot about your playing and a lot about – your sound and everything and you know that's like a it's a good kick in the butt to like and another what you need to work on another thing uh one should learn is that you can always take a, a small break and come back to it mm-hmm. right? yeah for sure clear your head move on to a different section yeah uh come back to it later when, yeah when you've calmed down relaxed because mm-hmm. a clear mind fixes a lot of problems yeah. yeah and i think that's the other thing is just the mental aspect of it is being in, in a clear headspace is super important in anything but you know when you're trying to work and focus that closely you know it's like you got to take care of what's up here 
first. Get all that organized. Um, Creativity can burn out as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Last thing. Yeah. What is one of the worst or funniest things that ever happened to you on a gig? Hmm. Surely I haven't ever dropped the saxophone. No. That's good. I mean, I I did have a my sax stand break. That was probably last year. My saxophones fell over on stage, but nothing broke, broke. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I've done a gig once. Well, I was just kind of like sitting in and probably the, this isn't a fun story, <laughs> but probably a good, uh, I don't know. It was a good life lesson for me, but I was asked to sit in. It was like this jazz gig and, um, yeah, it was, I was, they were doing chord changes. I was trying to hear it and my just couldn't hear the changes necessarily. And, and I think it might've been in an uncomfortable key and I ended up not playing well and I was really bummed out. Nobody probably noticed, at least the most people, they didn't care, but you know, it's like the musicians you're playing with are like at a really high level. And, uh, so yeah, kind of feeling defeated and, um, that happens. Mm-hmm. But you just, I learned, I learned some limitations. So that's just information that you've learned about your playing, about yourself. Now that's you've got okay. that. And yeah, now you've got a place to work on. Uh, yeah, you got a goal to shoot for then. Or something that you know, at least know you should avoid maybe in the future. Or like know that, okay, I'm not quite ready to do something like that. So I'm right. going to you know, pump the brakes first. Um, so yeah. Never be afraid of failure. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Don't feel bad because you failed. Yeah, because that keeps you from so many opportunities if you does. just say, like, um, I'm okay. Like, you know, don't don't be afraid to fail. And because you will. You will. It's gonna happen. It's gonna be embarrassing. And it's <laughs> yep, everybody's been through it. And that's that's another great part about it, is that every musician has been through that and then they're, they're not gonna knock you. No. If if you mess up once, right? Yep. Because everybody messes up sometimes. It's not the end of the world. And don't, here's another mistake a lot of musicians make. Don't, if you mess up, don't overthink it. Forget about it. Keep going. If mm-hmm. you if you dwell on that one mistake, you're going to make mistakes the entire night. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's something that I need to work on too. If I make a mistake, you know, I definitely ruminate on that. You know, I get stuck. I'm like, ah, I wish I would do that. That's a perfectionist thing in me. Yeah. And it's really hard to break because, yeah, I mean, it's like baseball. If you have a really bad at bat, and you know you come in your next at bat and you're like i keep striking out and why am i doing this why am i swinging at these pitches and you're in your head you're gonna do the same thing the same yeah so and it's not not saying it's easy you can't just say you know what i'm not gonna worry about it but it's not that easy but you can work on that and i you know that's something that i definitely need to because i i hold myself sometimes to a high maybe unrealistic standard at times um but being aware of that and working on it, it's yeah Try to be the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. And that's all that really matters. Yes. With all that said, you can find, make sure you find Logan Kurtzak at all of his places in the description. If you want to check out, check out Right Coast Recording, please be sure to check out them. Uh, all their uh, stuff as well is also in the description. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, we're going to be putting on uh, an episode I had with Luther Tyree. Then Monday, we're going to be having on Ben Oaks, Sir Dominic Jordan, and 
circumstantial saints. They are a few spoken word artists around uh, Lancaster. They're doing incredible youth work. Nice. I'm excited to talk to them about that. If you want to follow that and all updates and guests, please be sure to check out our Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the story Corey Rosen, C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. You can find that. Uh, search that up anywhere else you do your streaming and watching of videos or listening to audio. And if you really want to support us, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, leave us a rating. It really does help us out. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, do you want to leave them on one more track? Oh, yeah. That's right. We do have one more track. But I appreciate you having me on here. This was a really cool experience that, uh, yeah, to be a a list of that. A lot of people I respect are on your podcast list. And I'm like, to be one of them was was cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. We're going to leave you with. One more song uh, from Bobby's record. I don't want to play all of them because he's got to get on here at some point and play his tracks and talk about them. Um, but this is Disease, and uh, yeah, we'll be playing it tomorrow at the Hot Air Balloon Festival. So see you there.
And that was Disease by Bob and Dintello. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for having me. Yep. See ya. Bye.